So, where are we? Okay, so we're in uh, Mark's Gospel. And um, every week we're sort of taking a question. Uh, So we look at a passage, maybe a little bit through a kind of question lens that somebody might ask. And this week uh, we're doing, uh, what does Jesus call us to? What does Jesus call us to? Um, Because I don't know about you, but sometimes it can feel a bit overwhelming if we uh, look at all the things we think perhaps we should do or we could do, what it means to be a good Christian, if we want to be on fire, if we want to walk the walk, not just talk the talk. Then we've got church meetings and we've got Christian practices. We've got books that people are saying, oh, you should read this book. It's awesome. And this book. And if you're like me, you've got a pile of them. And um, if you're a flitter, which is me, you've read like the first couple of chapters of all of them, but actually haven't got into any of them. Uh, it's a personality type, apparently. Um, but there's justice, there's feeding the hungry, there's living with the sense of guilt. I've got too much stuff. Oh, Jesus calls me to so much more than this. And it kind of, I guess, paralyzes us a bit. But um, I think, as, as John's been trying to say recently, following Jesus is simple. We've got to make it simple. There is so much we could do or should do or can do or be nice to do. The overwhelming pressures of the world, as we know more and more and more through the news and as the world globally becomes like a global village, we know so much. And it can paralyze us, I think, at times. Um, I know that when I read Jesus, it says um, he says, my yoke is easy, okay? And that means like, you know, like two cows and you put, they, they like had the little wooden thing over their necks and they walked along and that was called the yoke. He said, that's easy and my burden, what I asked you to carry is light. And yet, sometimes I think I might have the wrong yoke. <laughs> um, yes, and when I came to Jesus, I think back to that, I think, When I came to Jesus, and I don't know about you, but what I was overwhelmingly overwhelmed by was that he wasn't calling me at that point to do loads of stuff. That wasn't his message. His message was, I want you to put it all down and come to me. And somewhere along the line, I think I forget that. That moment as I was before Jesus and he said, just put it all down. All those worries, all those fears, all those burdens you're carrying of what you should or shouldn't do, any heartache, just put it down. Come to me and I've got everything that you need, desire, could ever want is in me. So, putting that as a prefix, and as we think about what does Jesus want or call us to, we're going to read the passage. Now, the passage is um, Mark chapter 3 and verse 7. Okay. 
Okay, so you can follow it if you want to. If we were amazingly quick up there, we could put it on the screens. I think Howard might be doing that. <laughs> um, and the title is Crowds Follow Jesus. What page is it in your lovely Bibles? A thousand and four. So if you want one, there's blue ones in front of you and you can follow. If you're like me, you need to see it. Oh, I don't know what it is. Something about memory. Oh, look, there we go. It's on the screens. So um, mine might be slightly different. I've just realized that. But anyway, we'll see how we get on. So verse 7. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumi, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him, for he had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve that, he might be, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alephius, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He's possessed by a Beelzebub. The prince of demons, he is driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brother arrived, standing outside. They sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brother are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and brothers, he asked. They looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister 
and mother. Okay, so we're in Mark's gospel. Now, Mark's gospel is kind of fast-paced, really fast. Mark is jumping around. He's going very fast. He wants you to get that kind of picture that things are moving. I was thinking about this. I thought it's a bit like, and this will be appropriate at the moment, but it's like a snowball going down a hill, and it's catching pace as it goes, and more and more snow is being caught up into it, and it's kind of hurtling down towards the bottom. Um, And we're a bit like that at this point. We've seen uh, Jesus has launched onto the scene. You know, he's just been a very ordinary carpenter and up until this point. But he's began going around uh, healing people, delivering people from demons. There's miraculous signs being done everywhere. And people are absolutely astounded. And wherever he goes, he's announcing the kingdom of God is here. This kingdom, the authority of God is here. The authority to change things, to move things, to release people, to set people free. It is here. And here we see that surrounding Jesus, around him, our crowds are gathering. It's just huge. It's a movement uh, that no one can stop. It's attracting attention all over the place because thousands of people are coming to see Jesus in their desperation. They want to see. Perhaps some of them are curious to see, is that really happening? You know, sometimes you hear about something, you want to go and see it, check it out, see if it's really happening. I imagine others are going because um, they have something they need fixed. And they're coming to him out of desperation. They've got an illness and they know that even if they just touch him, they will be healed. And this huge, vast crowd is sort of following him like a a swarm almost. Wherever he goes, he can cross the lake, he can try running away. But these thousands of people are following him. And at this point in the story with his disciples, he tells them, get a boat ready. And why is the boat there? Because there's so many people. What if this crowd becomes so unruly, they're almost crushing him? He's got like, he's almost got like a getaway car behind him because it's become so huge and mighty. There are just thousands. I don't think we can even begin to imagine what that looks like in a rural place in the Middle East of Palestine, where people live in villages and and don't go very far. And yet here it tells us that people have come from everywhere. And although we may not be that familiar with those names... Uh, You might know Tyre and Sidon, but some of the others you might be less familiar with. Um, It's basically saying from as far north as you can go in the territory and from as far south as you can go and as far east and as far west, people are coming. That's what it's saying here. So news has got out to the furthest most regions and people are coming in. And down here, we get Mark pausing. 
And he pauses to tell them that he goes up a mountainside. He withdraws. It says, um, verse 13, Jesus went up a mountainside and he called those he wanted and they came to him. Luke tells us that um, he spent a night in prayer. Remember, Mark is your quick one. He maybe doesn't give you all the details. He just says, look, this is what happens. But Luke tells us he spent a night in prayer. He also, um, Mark tells us, sorry. Mark, uh, Luke, sorry. <laughs> Mark also tells us here, he gives us the names of these disciples. And it shows a real familiarity. Remember, Mark is supposed to have been heavily influenced by Peter. And you see that in the names he uses. Sometimes you can look at the names of the disciples and you go to another passage and you think, but but they're not the same names, are they? You're like, what the heck is that about? Oh, look, someone's nodding. (laughs) Yes, because, you know, in those days they had loads of different names, weirdly enough. I think it's because everyone was called pretty much the same thing. It's like friends of mine, he's from like a remote village in Canada, and pretty much everyone in his family is called Abraham, or some kind of version of it. It It's like Abe and Abe and Abraham, and it goes on and on and on. So you need to have different things. So they had like nicknames for them or second names for them. Jesus gave them other names like Simon gets called Peter and here in this list you get kind of Peter kind of gives us a bit of an insight of the like familiarity of it so you've got like the sons of thunder and then you've got uh, Simon who Jesus gave the the name Peter and then you've got in here Thaddeus and you think who's that and um, Thaddeus is like it means like courageous heart or brave but elsewhere, he, you know, he's not called Thaddeus. Um, he's called Judas. So if you've got two Judases going on, this is really interesting, because you can just distinguish with them. You know, the brave-hearted one, and the other one, Judas, oh, that Judas from Iscariot, you know. So those are our two Judases going on here. And then we've got Matthew, who somewhere else is called Levi. They've obviously got more than one name. It's so confusing to us, but at the time, it would have made perfect sense to people. You know, Mark, as he writes, he just assumes everyone knows who they are. You know, the courageous one. And in this, he tells them what he tells us why he chose them. And this is where we're going to sit a bit for today. So verse 14, he appointed 12. That, he, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Now, Mark says demons. Elsewhere, it says healing and demons. Mark, again, he's the shorthand guy. He's just given us a little insight. He assumes we know the rest. So firstly, what does Jesus call us to? Well, the first thing is, let's look at it. He appointed there 12 that they might be with him. And this is our primary call, to be with him. Every day, to be with him. The problem is we often, and I do, wake up in the morning with a massive list of things that I need to do. And Jesus doesn't call us primarily to do, but to be, and to be with him, to come to him. He wants us to hear from him, to lay it down. Remember I said at the beginning, when he called me, he didn't call me to do, but to put it down. 
And that's part of being a disciple. Every day we're coming and saying, Jesus, I thank you that I can lay it all down. And I come to you. I want to follow you today. The problem is, in our busy society, we get so caught up, I can rush, and there's an old little prayer about that, isn't it? I got up early one morning and rushed right into the day. Anyone got that? Yeah, a few people. I used to have it in my Bible. But man, that's true. It doesn't change, does it? I rushed right into the day, and I think the number of times that I rush into the day, uh, I'm rudely awoken, and then I'm off, and I'm grumpy, and I'm horrible, and I haven't even said... Morning, Lord. I haven't even done that. And this is like Christianity 101, isn't it? We all know 101, Jesus wants us to be with him. And yet how often are we dragged into what needs to be done? We're running around like absolute loonies. We're chasing after other things. We're chasing after being uh, the perfect mum, or we're chasing after uh, getting everything right and done at work so that we're known as the reliable work person. We're chasing after meeting people's needs so that people know that we're the one that can be depended upon when they have a crisis. Do you see what I mean? And those, they're not bad things. They're not bad being dependent upon someone. It's not bad being there for someone. It's not bad being the person at work who works with integrity. But I think we have to start our day by laying those things down and saying, Jesus, it's about you today, not me. And I lay it all down to follow you. And then we can go. It's a bit like, imagine a skill that you have, okay, because Jesus calls us to follow him. So I want you to imagine a skill. Now, your skill could be anything. It could be driving a car. Uh, it could be that you can make stuff. It could be that you can program something or other. I know nothing about that. It could be that you know how to play a sport or, I don't know, imagine your skill. It could be that you're good at surgery, or, I don't know, it could be that you're good at cleaning ovens, I don't know, whatever your skill is, okay? And someone comes to you, and, and you kind of meet them, and you say, oh, you tell them about it, and they say, oh, I'd really like to be able to learn that. And you're like, yeah, sure, I'd love to teach you. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, let's get going, okay? But imagine now that the person that said they wanted to learn... Um, so scenario one, they come for a few days and then you don't see them again. Scenario two, um, you've heard, say it's wallpapering, uh, that although they said they want to learn, they've now set up a wallpapering company and uh, they're not only are they wallpapering someone's house wrong, but they're in the wrong room and they're in the wrong house. Say they wanted to learn how to do surgery, and you sent them and said, oh, I want you to read all these books, start with this, read this basic text, then we'll meet next week. But you just heard they'd just gone and operated on someone. <laughs> You'd be terrified, wouldn't you? But that's just the basics, isn't it? When Jesus wants us to follow him, he wants us to learn from him. And how often do we think, oh, I've learned enough, I'm all right now. Or um, skip in and say, 
Yes, right. Jesus calls us to change the world. And off we run. Because, you know, we're so, so good at that, aren't we? We know there's so much to do. But unless we listen, we might be wallpapering the wrong room in the wrong house. There's so much we could do, but we're called first to be with him. In, in John's gospel, he recalls Jesus talking to his disciples, saying, Remain in me. Without me, you can do nothing. Remain in me. That's the basics that he's calling us to. I'll just quickly go to John 15. You can if you want. Jesus is saying that he's the vine. Uh, My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it be even more fruitful. And then verse 4, Remain in me. And I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. You must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. You know, and what he's saying here, you know, he's looking for fruit. We might be running around and look like we're doing a million and one things, and we've got a lovely bushy plant with loads of leaves on it and loads of activity, but it's the fruit from remaining in him. That really counts. There's um, a lady that I was um, hearing some of the testimony from uh, the other day, and her name was Edwina Gately. You might have heard of her. She started a mission movement, and then um, she also has been working in America with women in the sex industry. And uh, she tells this story about how she, when she was in America, this is a very American thing. She's not American even, she's English. But she got them to drag a caravan into the forest. And she said, well, I'm going to stay here until God directs me. I want to hear, I want to listen to Jesus to hear what he wants me to do. Anyway, she was there nine months. (laughs) Now, I don't have nine months, okay? I don't have it. But I do know that Jesus wants me to drag myself somewhere to listen to him. And he wants me to do that daily. We might not have the privilege of that, but we do need to be shutting our door. We also need to be watching what he's doing. Remember how the disciples were around Jesus, not only listening to him, but they watched what he did. And I think that withdrawing is a great way to hear him. But to see what he's doing, we have to get in amongst the people of God. We've got to be amongst, we've got to be hearing each other, watching each other. What is Jesus doing here? How is he doing it? What is he saying? Not just in the local church, but in the wider church Do What is Jesus doing? When we're called to be with him, we're called primarily that, to be with him and to receive from him. If we haven't received from him, we've got nothing to give. We're empty. We're not in the vine. If we haven't been with Jesus, you know, they said in the, new, in the, in the Acts of the Apostle, they took note that they'd been with Jesus because they were so powerful in what they did. They had such authority. They were able to communicate, to teach, to heal because they'd been with Jesus. If we don't go and receive from him... 
with guidance and change and to hear what he says about us, who we are, what we're like, what he thinks of us, we're going to be wrapped up in hearing something and it won't necessarily be from him. If we don't receive that, we don't understand that call to be with him and choose it, we're being called here and here and here and here and here. There's always a call to come follow something, to come believe in something, to choose something, to do something, to think something about yourself. Our primary call is to be with him. And why is that? That he might send them out. And he sends them with authority. Okay, and here it says, authority to, it sends them out to preach, it's got authority, and to drive out demons. And I don't know about you, but that scares me. It's a bit scary, isn't it, to have that authority. So, so often, I choose not. I think I could, I could pray for you, but I choose not. And that's awful, isn't it? We have authority. When the disciples return from their first mission, they come back and they're as stunned as we would be. They're like, oh my life, it actually worked. Oh my life, Jesus, this happened and this happened. We don't believe it. They went in his authority, but I'm not sure they're entirely sure what was going to happen. And it's scary when we actually open our mouths to speak with authority. But we can only do that when we have been with Jesus. Let's look down a bit at the last little bit, verse 20 and on. They go back they enter a house, and again the, growl, the crowd gathers, catches up with them. So that he and his disciples, I think that's interesting, and his disciples were not able to eat. Now, it doesn't tell us, but I wonder if his disciples were starting at this point to also do what Jesus was doing. Later, we hear they, they were but it does say he and his disciples. I always think of them as just like a side act, you know. And they were, because Jesus is the main deal. But I wonder if they were also healing people. And here we see that people try to come and stop him. They want to take charge of him. First we hear his family heard about this, and they went to take charge of him, for they said, he's out of his mind. He's out of his mind. Imagine you are part of Jesus' family. Because in those days, it would have been the extended family, wasn't it? They were one massive family. And imagine you hear that Jesus is attracting thousands and thousands of people. And this snowball effect is coming. And Rome is hearing about it. And the religious leaders are hearing about it. And your local leaders are hearing about it. And they're all saying, what on earth is this guy doing? And they go to take charge of him, to stop him. Maybe they're fearful of what will happen. 
because they can see what happens to Roman rebels, rebels that are against Rome. They can see what happens. Maybe there's thousands of people there now, but maybe they see that what about in a few weeks' time when those crowds have run away, but maybe Jesus is in a lot of trouble. They want to take charge of him. They want to call him home. And we also see how the religious leaders come. They also come to take charge of him, to call him to stop. They say he's possessed by demons. They want to discredit him and stop him. And Jesus comes in with this this talking about how can Satan drive out of Satan. They want to stop him speaking too. And then finally at the bottom, we see Jesus' own mother and brothers have arrived. And they're standing outside. They sent someone in, it says, to call him. I find that really interesting. It's just a little throwaway word, but they sent someone in to call him. And what does Jesus do? He calls people to him. And yet here they are calling him to them. All of these people want to call Jesus to them, to come under their authority, to come under the way they want things done, to do what they want him to do. The religious leaders, they wanted him to be a certain way. His family wanted him to do certain things. His own mummy even wants him to just be safe and say, no, you just come, come home and we'll sort it out. We'll tell you how to play this. But Jesus is the one who calls us, come, follow me. And he's not saying, you know, as it goes on here, just as a side thought, he says, who are my mother and my brothers? Here are my mother and brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. And there can be various things about this, can't there? You know, you can think, oh, well, is he telling you to abandon your family? Well, of course he's not. Jesus was adamant with people that they should look after their family. For those people who'd said, everything that I would have given to my parent, I give to the temple, give to following God. That's not right. So he's not saying, abandon your family. Love your family, follow your family, enjoy your family. But your primary call is to Jesus. And your authority and your direction and who you are and your identity, and everything you need is to come from him, and only him. You cannot let someone else call you and say, over here, come and do what I want. You cannot let something call you. You must first be called to Jesus, and to be with him daily. Come, be with me. Lay it down leave it and come. We've got distractions everywhere. Society rules, family expectations, our careers, but our primary call is to be with Jesus. So what I want us to think today is just one degree shift, just a small thing. How can I be with Jesus? You know, because if he is going to send you You must fast be with him. 
And it's so easy to get caught up in the doing that we don't do the being. So let's just pause for a moment and just reflect on that and then I'll pray. Jesus, I thank you that our primary call is to be with you. That you ask us to come, put it all down, and just look to you to listen, to hear, to be filled afresh with you. Jesus, we ask that you would come now by your spirit and fill us afresh. To know that we're loved. To know that we're accepted. Help us in this coming week to find time each day to be with you, to become aware of your presence in the busyness sometimes and sometimes in the quiet, to see what you're doing. so that then we can go, can go filled with you and your authority.